Again, if I only provide for these, then I am not fit for banishment. Further, if I conclude that banishment is the worst, then if death comes, I am surprised. So that I see the best way to go through sufferings is to trust in God through Christ as touching the world to come and as touching this world to count the grave my house to make my bed in darkness to say to corruption thou art my father and to the worm thou art my mother and sister that is to familiarize these things to me but notwithstanding these helps I found myself a man encompassed with infirmities the parting with my wife and poor children have often been to me in this place as pulling the flesh from the bones and that not only because I am somewhat too fond of these great mercies but also because I would have often brought to my mind the many hardships miseries and wants that my poor family were like to meet with should I be taken from them especially my poor blind child who lay nearer to my heart than all besides oh the thoughts of the hardship my poor blind one might undergo would break my heart to pieces poor child thought I what sorrow art thy like to have for thy portion in this world thou must be beaten must beg suffer hunger cold nakedness and a thousand calamities though I cannot now endure the wind should blow upon thee but yet recalling myself thought I I must venture you all with God that it goeth to the quick to leave you oh I saw in this condition I was as a man who was pulling down his house upon the head of his wife and children yet thought I I must do it I must do it and now I thought on those two milch kind that were to carry the ark of God into another country and to leave their calves behind them 1 Samuel 6 verse 10 but that which helped me in this temptation was diverse considerations of which three in special here I will name the first was the consideration of these two scriptures leave thy fatherless children I will preserve them alive and let thy widows trust in me and again the Lord said verily it shall be well with thy remnant Verily, I will cause the enemy to entreat thee well in the time of evil and in the time of affliction. 
Jeremiah 49 verse 11 Chapter 15 verse 11 I also had this consideration that if I should venture all for God I engage God to take care of my concerns but if I forsook him in his ways for fear of any trouble that should come to me or mine then I should not only falsify my profession but should count also that my concerns were not so sure as left at God's feet while I stood to and for his name as they would be if they were under mine own care though with the denial of the way of God this was a smarting consideration and a spurs into my flesh that scripture also greatly helped it to fasten the more onto me where Christ prays against Judas that God would disappoint him in his selfish thoughts which moved him to sell his master pray read it soberly Psalm 109 verse 6 etc I also had another consideration and that was the dread of the torments of hell which I was sure they must partake of that fear of the cross do shrink from their profession of Christ his words and laws before the sons of men I thought also of the glory that he had prepared for those that in faith and love and patience stood in his ways before them these things I say have helped me when the thoughts of the misery that both myself and mine might for the sake of my profession be exposed to having lain pinching on my mind when I have indeed conceded that I might be banished from my profession then I have thought of that scripture they were stoned they were sawn asunder were tempted were slain with the sword they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins being destitute afflicted tormented of whom the world was not worthy Hebrews 11 verse 37 for all they thought they were too bad to dwell and abide among them I have also thought of that saying the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city that bonds and afflictions abide me I have fairly thought that my soul and it hath sometimes reasoned about the sore and sad estate of a banished and exiled condition how they were exposed to hunger to cold to perils to nakedness to enemies and a thousand calamities and at last it may be to die in a ditch like a poor and desolate sheep but I thank God hitherto I have not been moved by these most delicate reasonings but had rather by them 
more approved my heart to God. I was once above all the rest in a very sad and low condition for many weeks, at which time also, being but a young prisoner and not acquainted with the laws, I had this lying upon my spirits that my imprisonment might end at the gallows for aught that I could tell. Now, therefore, Satan laid hard at me to beat me out of heart by suggesting thus to me. But how if, when you indeed come to die, you should be in this condition? That is, as not to savor the things of God, nor to have an evidence upon your soul for a better state hereafter. For indeed, at this time, all the things of God were hid from my soul. Wherefore, when I at first began to think of this, it was a great trouble to me. For I thought with myself that in the condition I now was in, I was not fit to die. Neither did I think I could, if I should be called to it. Besides, I thought with myself, if I should make a scrambling shift to clamber up the ladder, yet I should, either with quaking or other symptoms of fainting, give occasion to the enemy to reproach the way of God and his people for their timorousness. This therefore lay with great trouble upon me, for methought I was ashamed to die with a pale face and tottering knees in such a case as this. Wherefore I prayed to God that he would comfort me and give me strength to do and suffer what he should call me to. Yet no comfort appeared, but all continued hid. I also was at this time so really possessed with the thought of death that oft I was as if I was on the ladder with a rope about my neck. Only this was some encouragement to me. I thought I might now have an opportunity to speak my last words unto a multitude, which I thought would come to see me die. And, thought I, if it must be so, if God will convert one soul by my last words, I shall not count my life thrown away nor lost. But yet, all the things of God were kept out of my sight. And still the tempter followed me with, But whither must you go when you die? What will become of you? Where will you be found in another world? What evidence have you for heaven and glory and in an inheritance among them that are sanctified? Thus I was tossed for many weeks and knew not what to do. At last this consideration fell with weight upon me that it was for the word and way of God that I was in this condition. Wherefore I was engaged not to flinch a hair's breadth from it. 
I thought also that God might choose whether he would give me comfort now or at the hour of death. But I might not therefore choose whether I would hold my profession or no. I was bound, but he was free. Yea, it was my duty to stand to his word, whether he would ever look upon me or save me at the last. Wherefore, thought I, save the point being thus, I am for going on and venturing my eternal state with Christ, whether I have comfort here or no. If God does not come in, thought I, I will leap off the ladder, even blindfold into eternity, sink or swim, come heaven, come hell. Lord Jesus, if thou wilt catch me, do. If not, I will venture all for thy name. I was no sooner fixed in this resolution, but this word dropped upon me. Doth Job serve God for naught? And as if the accuser had said, Lord, Job is no upright, upright man. He serves thee for by respects. Hast thou not made a hedge about him, etc.? But put forth now thy hand, and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. How now, thought I, is this the sign of an upright soul? To desire to serve God when all is taken from him? Is he a godly man that will serve God for nothing rather than give out? Blessed be God, then I hope I have an upright heart, for I am resolved, God giving me strength never to deny my profession, though I have nothing at all for my pains. And as I was thus considering, that scripture was set before me, Psalm 44, verse 12, etc., now was my heart full of comfort, for I hoped it was sincere. I would not have been without this trial for much. I am comforted every time I think of it, and I hope I shall bless God forever for the teachings I have had by it. Many more dealings of God towards me I might relate, but these, out of the spoils won in battle, I have dedicated to maintain the house of the Lord. 1 Chronicles 26, 27 The Conclusion 1. Of all the temptations that I ever met with in my life to question the being of God and the truth of His gospel is the worst and the worst to be born when this temptation comes it takes away my girdle from me and removes the foundation from under me 
Oh, I have often thought of that word, having your loins girt about with truth, and of that, when the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Two. Sometimes when, after sin committed, I have looked for sore chastisement from the hand of God, the very next that I have had from Him has been the discovery of His grace. Sometimes, when I have been comforted, I have called myself a fool for my sinking under trouble. And then again, when I had been cast down, I thought it was not wise to give such way to comfort. With such strength and weight have both these been upon me. 3. I have wondered much at this one thing, that though God doth visit my soul with never so blessed a discovery of himself, Yet I have found, again, that such hours have attended me afterwards, that I have been in my spirit so filled with darkness, that I could not so much as once conceive what that God and that comfort was with which I have been refreshed. 4. I have sometimes seen more in the line of the Bible than I could well tell how to stand under. And yet at another time the whole Bible hath been to me as a dry stick or rather my heart hath been so dead and dry unto it that I could not conceive the least dram of refreshment though I have looked it all over. 5. Of all fears, they are the best that are made by the blood of Christ. And of all joy, that is the sweetest that is mixed with mourning over Christ. Oh, it is a goodly thing to be on our knees with Christ in our arms before God. I hope I know something of these things. Six. I find to this day seven abominations in my heart. One. Inclining to unbelief. Two suddenly to forget the love and mercy that Christ manifesteth. 3. A leaning to the works of the law. 4. Wanderings and coldness in prayer. 5. To forget to watch for what I pray for. 6 apt to murmur because I have no more and yet ready to abuse what I have. 7. 
I can do none of those things which God commands me, but my corruptions will thrust in themselves. When I would do good, evil is present with me. These things I continually see and feel, and am afflicted and oppressed with. Yet the wisdom of God doth order them for my good. They make me abhor myself. They keep me from trusting my heart. They convince me of the insufficiency of all inherent righteousness. They show me the necessity of flying to Jesus. They press me to pray unto God. They show me the need I have to watch and be sober and provoke me to pray unto God through Christ to help me and carry me through the world. The Reverend Robert Philip, author of Bunyan's Life and Times, adds the following. Bunyan's liberation from prison was obtained from Charles II by Whitehead the Quaker. On his release, he soon became one of the most popular preachers of the day and was, if not the chaplain, the teacher of Sir John Shorter, the mayor of London, Southeast Life. But although free and popular, Bunyan evidently dreaded every new crisis in public affairs. He had reason to do so. Venice conspiracy had increased the severity of his first year's six years imprisonment. On the occasion of the fire in London, he was thrown into prison again. And soon after James II came to the throne in 1685, Bunyan conveyed the whole of his property to his wife by a singular deed, which can only be accounted for by his suspicions of James and Jeffreys, and by his horror at the revocation of the Edict of Nantes. The asylum which the refugees found in England did not prove to him that he was safe. No wonder. Kirk and his lambs were abroad, and the Bedford Justices still in power. It was under these circumstances that he divested himself of all his property in order to save his family from want should he again be made a victim. The deed shows his solicitude for Mrs. Bunyan's comfort and his confidence in her prudence. And his Elizabeth well deserved both. Whatever Bunyan may have feared when he thus disposed of all the little property he had, nothing befell him under James II. He published The Pharisee and the publican in 1685 
the year of the king's accession. And in 1688, Charles Doe says, he published six books, being the time of King James II's Liberty of Conscience. This appears from Doe's list. It throws also much light upon Bunyan's death. Such labor could not fail to sap his strength, even if it did nothing but carry the six books through the press, for none of them are small except the last. He was seized with sweating distemper, says Doe, after he published six books, which after some weeks proved his death. The sketch in the British Museum states that, taking a tedious journey in a slabby rainy day and returning late to London, he was entertained by one Mr. Strudwick, a grocer on Snow Hill, with all the kind endearments of a loving friend, but soon found himself indisposed with a kind of shaking, as it were an ague, with increasing to a fever, he took to his bed where, growing worse, he found he had not long to last in this world, and therefore prepared himself for another, towards which he had been journeying as a pilgrim and stranger upon earth the prime of his days. The occasion of his journey to Reading, which has always been called a labor of love and charity, will now be more interesting than it hitherto has been. It was not undertaken by a man in health, but by an overwrought author sinking under a sweating distemper. Mr. Ivany's account of Bunyan's errand being the best I quoted. The last act of his life was a labor of love and charity. A young gentleman a neighbor of Mr. Bunyan, falling under his father's displeasure and being much troubled in mind on that account, and also from hearing it was his father's design to disinherit him or otherwise deprive him of what he had to leave. He pitched upon Mr. Bunyan as a fit man to make way for his submission and to prepare his mind to receive him, which he, being willing to undertake any good office, readily engaged in, and went to Reading in Bedfordshire for that purpose. There he so successfully accomplished his design by using such pressing arguments and reasons against anger and passion, and also for love and reconciliation that the father's heart was softened and his bowels yearned over his son. After Mr. Bunyan had disposed everything in the best manner to promote an accommodation, as he returned to London on horseback, he was overtaken with excessive rains and coming to his lodgings extremely wet. He fell sick of a violent fever, which he bore with much constancy and patience, 
and expressed himself as if he wished nothing more than to depart and to be with Christ. Considering it as gain, in life only, a tedious delay of expected felicity, finding his strength decay, he settled his world affairs, as well as the shortness of the time and the violence of the disorder would permit. And after an illness of ten days, with unshaken confidence, he resigned his soul on the 31st of August, 1688, being sixty years of age, into the hands of his most merciful Redeemer, following his pilgrim from the city of destruction to the new Jerusalem, his better part having been all along there in holy contemplation, pantings and breathings after the hidden manner and the water of life. His tomb is in Bunhill Fields, his cottage at Elstow. Although somewhat modernized, it is substantially as he left it. His chair, jug, book of martyrs, church book, and some other relics are carefully preserved at his chapel in Bedford. And, best of all, his Catholic spirit also is preserved there. This ends the reading of John Bunyan's book, Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780 780- Four five zero thirty seven thirty by fax at seven eight zero four six eight ten ninety six or by mail at forty seven ten dash thirty seven A Avenue Edmonton that's E D M O N T O N Alberta abbreviated capital A capital B Canada T six L three T five you may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. 
For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.